Hey, Church Home, I am so excited about this segment. You are going to enjoy this so much. Uh, one of my dear friends is here, and he is brilliant, single, and available. All right, Judah, relax, <laughs> relax. But that is none other than Emmanuel Acho. He is here. Man, thank you so much for joining me. This oh, is incredible. Just a couple of professional athletes hanging out. <laughs> I think you get it. Um, I am so excited to have this conversation. We're calling this segment Ask Me Anything. anything. So, which I love that we roped you into this because I'm going to ask you anything. You don't get to ask me anything. I, I think there's an unwritten rule in pastor's kids' contracts. Yeah that you have to say yes to the first ask. Thank you for that's saying the first, that. That's Thank the first, that's the very, and as a pastor's kid, I think you knew of the unwritten rule. See, and a lot of people don't know this. We're just a couple of pastor's that's kids it. hanging out. That's it. Um, so shout out to Pastor Acho. We love you, sir. Thank you for raising a great man. You are a great man, by the way, and I love you very much. Um, you're also an intimidating man in the best possible way, and that is just, <clears throat> you know, your structure your build, that sort of thing. Um, we're not going to get into that right now. If you do not know Emmanuel Acho, uh, you've obviously been under a quarantine without any social media whatsoever. Uh, Emmanuel Acho has, in my opinion, you are changing the course of history in this country and around the world. Uncomfortable Conversations with a Black Man is now a very significant installment, I think, in the history of this country and around the world. I love you for it. Uh, I love your candor. I love your courage. Uh, and then if you turn on any sports station known to man, uh, it, there is a, uh, I think the percentage is now a 72% chance you'll see Emmanuel Acho speaking. <laughs> I literally, like Christmas Eve, I went flipping through the channels and I think I hit three stations with this man on it using his gift of communication. Talk about sports and uh, the, the, the journey of professional athletes in all different sports. Can I ask you Please. anything? Um, Isn't that why we're here, technically? How, <laughs> how do you keep track of, like, I watch, I, you know, I watch you all the time now, our kids watch you, and you have so much data, information, and perspective on, like, a myriad of athletes in sports. And do you, like, study that? Uh, the thing I think I'm best at is just arbitrary memorization of information. And so, like, I might remember something that I heard once and just commit it to memory. And I read a book on memory and read a book on memorization and compartmentalizing things. And, and it the, just sticks. And it sticks. And then the other thing is, as long as you say something confidently, people will believe you. You know what I mean? Like, the average candy bar has eight spiders in it, right? I think that's actually true. So oh, I, come on. I, seriously, look it up. Chocolate bar, chocolate bar. He's got, he's, this man's a total package. Ladies, at him at Instagram. I'm kidding. <laughs> Everyone relax. Everyone relax. All right. Let's start off with a couple of softballs. Best professional football. Talking American. Bear with us for church home is all over the world now. But here in the National Football League, who has the most potential going forward? Obviously, I know you're going to say the Seahawks. Go ahead. <laughs> um, to me, I always, I ride with the Chiefs. I ride with the Kansas City Chiefs. Whoa, Why? Because for hurts. me, the NFL, it, it, it starts and it stops with the quarterback, and it starts and it stops with the quarterback-coach combination. Patrick Mahomes, Andy Reid, to me, that's the best quarterback-coach combination. So you, got, you, can, you can say teams like the Rams, which is sexy, and I love the Rams. I think they're in the Super Bowl this year. Whoa. The Bucks, I like the I have Chiefs-Rams. 
I do. Oh, you do? I got Chiefs Rams. Um, What's amazing is this is going to air after the Super Bowl. Is that correct? I want to make sure. This will be airing, so we're going to be able to find out. We, <laughs> this will air after the Super Bowl. I trust we'll find out if I'll be at least 50% right. You're uh, the, that confident the, the Chiefs, that Tom I'm, Brady will be there again? The Chiefs, I'm confident in. Rams, oh. Matthew Stafford. I don't think Tom Brady makes it. What? Yeah. I'm starting to think Tom Brady's the second coming. I'm kidding. We're pastors, kids making Christian jokes. Everyone relax. Um, okay. All right. I'll hold you to it. My prediction, since we're doing predictions, uh, my prediction is uh, Steelers. I'm just <laughs> kidding. They're getting, they're getting out of there real quick. Uh, I am going to go Rams. No, I'm not. I'm not going to go Rams. I'm going to go uh, Raiders Chiefs. Okay. First off, that's impossible. Because they're both in the AFC. I did. <laughs> First of all, that's, that's, to be honest, I kind of panicked. The NFC, and AFC, I never know. I never know. Like if the Seahawks aren't there, he's like, ah, it's somebody so give me true. a team. The Sacramento asked, Kings? No, oh, wrong sport. Okay. Wait, wrong sport. LA Kings? Wait, what? Um, yeah, I always get that wrong. I am so sorry. It was such disrespect. Was that the AFC that I was talking about? Yeah, you went AFC, yeah, AFC. Yeah. All right, all right. I'll go. I'll go Rams, Bucks. Also impossible. Rams, just stick with me. Go Rams, Chiefs, or go Bucks, Chiefs. Okay, I'll go Bucks, Chiefs. <laughs> Guys, I'm unraveling on set. Like now, people know the truth. I am so myopic. All I care about is the Seattle Seahawks, uh, rightfully so. But uh, hey, give us. Uh, can you give us like a flyover of your background, yeah. your story, your journey? Here you are, 31 years young now? Yeah, 31. 31. Man. Quick flyover. Favorite basketball player ever wore 31? Oh, Sean Marion. Oh, that's a good one. Anthony Hardaway, Penny Hardaway, 31 Ooh. at Memphis State. Now Memphis. <laughs> like, I'm so excited to share my sports knowledge, which is obviously flawed. I'm just glad I knew a basketball player who wore 31. Somebody fact checked me. And tweet at me or Instagram me when y'all watch this if I was wrong. But I think Sean no, Marion. No, no, hundred percent, Sean Marion. The Matrix wore thirty-one. Call that nice. was so good. The Matrix. Yeah, I really like that. Um, thirty or wait, flyover mm-hmm. of my life. Um, first generation American. Start there. Wow. Parents born and raised in Nigeria. Three primary tribes in Nigeria: Igbo, Hausa, Yoruba. Uh, we are Igbo. Uh, Emmanuel Chinedu Acho. My middle name Chinedu. Chi and Igbo. That prefix it means God. Um, so Chinedu, God guides me. Uh, I went to a wow. predominantly white private school growing up, grades 5 through 12, all boys school, war uniform, gray slacks, white button downs, super awkward. But I went to church in the hood. You know, Tony Evans church, like That's predominantly black God, area. Tony Evans. My guys, my family. And so dichotomy, because I go to church and I'm super white, but then I go to my private school and wait, but you're black, but you're not really black. So just that whole tension of growing up kind of a little bit confused because all the while I am Nigerian American. So Nigerian culture, black by skin color. Played college football, University of Texas. My brother and I play together, go to the national championship in 2009 in the Rose Bowl, Pasadena, California. California, lose to Alabama. Sad, sad, sad day. I wanted Um, to win so bad. I know, I did too. (laughs) <laughs> believe that. Um, and then drafted to the Cleveland Browns, traded to the Philadelphia Eagles, spent four years in the National Football League, left after four years. Because after four years, what people don't realize, vested pension and annuity. That's when you get all the benefits in the NFL. So I looked myself in the mirror. I was like, man, I'm not going to be a Hall of Famer. I'm not going to be an all pro. So let me just move on. I realized, what else am I good at? I'm good at speaking. 
transition, start this whole TV thing, um, was doing television, ESPN, lower level, then promoted nationally. Then I switched from ESPN to Fox Sports, moved out to LA. In the midst of that racial turmoil in the world, I start uncomfortable conversations with a black man. Oprah calls me, we write the book, best-selling author, win the Emmy, and here we are. <laughs> By the way, that is so succinct. That was like a flawless flyover. <laughs> You really should, no turbulence. You really should look into you know using uh, your ability to talk as something you Judah. I just told you that's what I'm doing. Um, the first time we did uh, a sit down together, um, oh our podcast that we yes. did together, um, Chelsea would tell you I went home and I was like I am taken aback by Emmanuel's gift. She's like, what do you mean? I was like, I was just mesmerized the way he flows in his words and. And I'd like to think as pastor's kids, we've grown up around great orators like Dr. Tony Evans um, and our dads. But to watch you use your gift, um, it's not just that you're good at putting words together, but everything you say, it, it, there seems to be an integrity in it. You seem to be like living it. It seems to be something you're passionate about. Even you talk about something as arbitrary sometimes as sports in light of everything going on in the world. There's just a passion behind it. I love it. I think it's incredibly compelling. And there's so many things we're hoping people to pick up from this interview, but your passion for what you do, are you naturally, do you just wake up passionate and ready to tell everyone everything you know about sports and life and social constructs? <laughs> the biggest secret, battle rap. A big battle rap guy. A big battle what rap What is happening guy. right big, now? Here's the thing. Here's, here's the mistake people make in life. Okay. The mistake people make in life is they think that some part of society yeah. doesn't have anything to do with them, so they can't learn from it. I think that's the biggest mistake people make. I think I told you this on In Good Faith. The most impactful concert I've ever gone to in my life, a Taylor Swift concert. Boys to Men. Oh, I thought it was Boys to Men. Close. Close second. Okay. All, both Pennsylvania artists. But no, not Boys to Men. Um, a Taylor Swift concert. I'm not a huge Taylor guy. Not at all. But I go to the concert because I'm in Philadelphia playing for the Eagles at the time. She's from Reading, Pennsylvania. So she performs at our stadium. We get great seats, whatever. When you walk in, everybody got these uh, white wristbands, right? I'm like, why the heck is she handing out white wristbands? It made no sense. About 30 minutes into the set, her song Bad Blood starts playing. Yeah. Whole stadium lights up red and white. Whole stadium. At that point in time, I got it. I was like, oh, you wanted the audience to be invested in the show, not just be spectators, but be co-contributors in the performance. So now, when I'm on television, I make sure that like my look matches my tone. So if it's gonna be like a fun day, we'll go no tie, we'll be chilling. If it's gonna be super buttoned up, we'll go tie, maybe go with a three-piece. So I think the biggest mistake people make, bro, is like not learning from things that don't necessarily look on the surface like them. So Whoa. me, I don't really wake up intentional. I just wake up like, oh, let's just go learn and try to take from this and give to that. And do you think, is that learned from experience or was that something instilled in you at a young age from your parents? My parents offered me exposure. I'm the one that had to digest what I was exposed to. Mm. You feel me? And okay. so I, my parents were like, all right, see what you can learn about. But no, nah, I think the more you learn, the more like the aperture of your mind is opened up. And based upon what you've been opened up to, now you can borrow from that. I remember reading how Velcro got started. And Velcro got started because I believe it was the inventor was walking through the grass or something. And those annoying little pricklies, yeah, you know, yeah. those freaking pricklies Absolutely. got stuck in their socks. 
And they were like, wait, if this can be an adhesive to this, then why can't we use it for good? Velcro. Wait, I didn't know that. And so most of the like brilliance in life comes from what can I take from this and give to that? Dude, uncomfortable conversations, and you and I have had this all the time. It won an Emmy, great. Really, all I was doing was preaching. I just take from the pulpit, spice it up a little bit, and then repackage it and repurpose it for an audience without maybe saying Paul or saying Peter, but I'll still say the same practices and premises rather than saying like Job 15, 13 says, I'll just say, you know, there's a great quote, you know, that which I fear the most has befallen me. Oh my God, that's so profound. Yes, in the Bible. (laughs) So I I just, it's all about what can you borrow and put your own little like flavor on. Why do you think we're so afraid to use the metaphor of the little thistle that gets stuck mm-hmm. in your sock, which happens all the time when I play golf because my ball is not in the fairway. Um, <laughs> that, that thistle is such a wonderful metaphor because we're taught almost instinctively from a young age, like whatever is like doing that to you, just get rid of it and, and walk away from it. It meaning whatever's painful and challenging and difficult mm-hmm. is bad, 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 bad. Yeah. Comfort, security, safety. That's the ideals. That's the American dream. And obviously that is so counterproductive to understanding one another and understanding uh, what we believe is the plan of God, which yeah. is this church that looks like heaven, every tribe, tongue, kindred, background, ethnicity, culture, all coming together to make this beautiful portrait of Jesus. Meanwhile, that's not really happening, yeah. and the church is almost more divided than anywhere else in this country and around the world. Why is that? I think a couple of things. The first thing is we are so adverse to pain mm. and, and, and to discomfort and challenge. The, I believe it's the five most stressful things in life are getting married, getting divorced, having kids, moving houses, losing a loved one. Marriage, divorce, kids, moving houses, loved one. What do all those things have in common? Change. You gain one, you lose one, you leave one, you move from one. It's all change. Those are the five most stressful things that you can go through in life. That's what studies show. But it's all because like, we don't do a great job of adapting to change. And um, I recently heard a quote, and it talked about, like, if you don't have the ability to navigate the incessant fluctuation of life, you're not going to enjoy being here. And I think most people, bro, like, we just don't have a good ability to navigate or want to. So it's like, wait a second. And you and I have had this conversation before, like, and you just talked about this earlier. Wait, my my kids are going to go to public school? Uh, I don't necessarily want to navigate that turbulence. Wait, I'm going to go to a church or a small group with thousands of people that don't look like me? Uh, I don't want to navigate that turbulence. I don't want to change. Um, Because a lot of people don't like being the outlier. They view it as a negative as opposed to viewing it like a sponge, realizing what all can you gain from this and then go use and disseminate elsewhere. Let me ask you, it is clear to me, obviously our journey is, is, is obviously going to be different as a white man in this country and as a black man in this country. Um, can you speak to the opportunities that I have to avoid change and you have or don't have to avoid change? That's great. Oh, that's probably the best question. I'm sorry you've peaked. This conversation <laughs> peaked. Um, uh, no, it's probably the best question. So here I think is the biggest, one of the biggest things, I won't say it's the biggest, though I think it is. One of the biggest <laughs> things 
uh, my white brothers and sisters are ignorant too. And that is their natural surroundings. What do I mean? When I walk into any restaurant, particularly in LA, Beverly Hills, Century City, whatever the case may be, I'm instantly looking for a black person. Instantly. Every time. Every time. And I'm looking for a black person because I'm typically the only one. So I just want to like see like, okay, who else is in here for a couple reasons? One, hey, glad to see you made it. Made it meaning a lot, a wide variety of things. Made it fiscally that you're able to be here, assuming we're at a fine establishment. Made it that you're alive. Um, I'm glad to see you made it, just that we're in the same presence amongst a group of people that don't look like us. Um, so that's why like black people who don't know each other might just head not on the street. I'll be with a white friend. Oh, you know him? Nah, they just black. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know them, but I know them because I know what they've been through. Wow. Um, and I don't think that my white brothers and sisters have those same experiences, except when they go places where they're the foreigner. Um, if, if you and I walk into a, a space, it's just a natural space for you. But for me, it's an unnatural space. I, I've said before that, bro, like sometimes being in America, I say being in America because I have dual citizenship, yep. but I also go to Nigeria. Being in America, it, it's like, it can be like navigating a space as a foreigner. Imagine if you go to a, a friend's house for the first time and you're walking around, you got to look at where the coffee tables are. You got to look at where the shoes are because it's a little foreign to you and you just want to make sure you don't hit or trip up on anything. That's kind of what it's like at times. It's a little bit foreign to me as a black person only because it's not as familiar because you don't see things that are as familiar. Whoa. It would be like if you were to join me in Nigeria. It'd be different for you. You'd be like, oh, snap, ain't no white people. That's the same interaction I had. I've shared this story with you before. Talking to my friends in Austin, Texas, I would always go to white church. Um, and they said, that's not white church, it's just church. Hmm. And I was like, no, to y'all it's just church because you don't recognize that you are amongst people who look like you. But I walk into an auditorium of 3,000 and it's about seven people that look like me. How do I know this? I spent a service counting one time. Um, <laughs> truly. And, and I noticed that. And I noticed that because I'm a foreigner. And it's just, it's the, the last kind of example analogy I'll give is like, if you've ever been in, whether it's a club or a casino, and you're in a casino and you don't even realize after a while that you're smelling in a bunch of secondhand smoke because you're just in it. But then you walk outside and you're like, oh, wow. That I feel like is what it's like as a white person in America you don't even realize these surroundings because you're just in it until you change surroundings, go to a foreign land, and you're like, oh, wow. So I think that's probably the biggest, one of the biggest differences in the life you live on a daily basis versus the life I live on a daily basis. The experience you just described, um, I know you've already said this, but I'm going to ask you one more time. Are you also saying that your experience around that experience as a black man in the United States of America, that frankly, it's no different in a restaurant or the church? Is that what you're saying? No different at all. It might be, wow. it might be more glaring in the church only because, only because expectation, it kind of dictates experience. Mm. If I expect... If you go to a, I'm not going to say an establishment, but say, <laughs> say you go to a restaurant that's like a one-star joint, right? And you order a steak 
and the steak is rubbery, so you need the A1 sauce and this, that, and the third. Well, you didn't expect it to be great because you went to a one, two-star restaurant. You go to a five-star restaurant and you got to ask for A1 sauce and the steak is rubbery. Now it's a problem because I went to a five-star restaurant. The steak was the same, but my expectation was different. Mm. So if I go to a, uh, if I go to a mall, if I go to a, a, a literal restaurant, if I go to whatever the case may be, and I don't see diversity, whatever. It's a school, it's a mall, it's a restaurant. But if I go to the church, my expectation is higher because it's a church. And the church preaches, love your neighbor as yourself, love God, first two commandments, supposed the second to, one. Right. Supposed to. <laughs> like, that's what the church preaches. And so I always say expectation minus reality equals disappointment. Whoa. So if you have an expectation and the expectation of the church is to be maximally diverse and the reality is that it's not, it equals disappointment. Expectation of a restaurant is lower. So that's why I say the sting is, is stronger in the church or it's more palpable. That makes perfect sense. And, and I think is, is something, the reason I ask it is for the admonishing of our own community and church. That the church, we would agree, a couple of pastors, kids, mm-hmm. um, should be profoundly different from the culture, yeah. the city, the community, right? It's supposed to be that beacon, that city set on a hill that cannot be hidden, mm-hmm. that is a taste of heaven on earth, right? Isn't that what it's supposed yeah. to look like? Yeah, well, it, it, okay, let's be real. Okay. Let's be real. Let's say some things that... We won't be uncomfortable, but here's the truth. <laughs> the, the, the truth is so many people in the church, and if we're talking about American church and the white church, are well-intended but so poorly executed. I shared this with you. Over the last 16 months, I often heard, Emmanuel, it's not about race, it's about grace. Emmanuel, it's not about skin, it's about sin. And so while people are incredibly well-intended, well, we just need some more Jesus. Jesus. The issue is just, we just need more Jesus. I've never heard some of this before. You're like, oh, Jesus would have stopped this, and Jesus would have, we just need to love each other. Here's the problem. I'm going to try not to get passionate. Here's the problem. No, please try to be <laughs> you, you have to know how to love each other, right? Love is an action. Love is, love is a verb. That's right. Like, love isn't a feeling. So you can't just say we need to love each other. What are the practical and tangible steps to love one another? Because if all I'm saying is I want to love Judah, but I don't know how to love Judah, then me wanting to love Judah is irrelevant. So if you want to love your neighbor, but you don't know how to love your neighbor, then you claiming you want to love your neighbor is irrelevant. So to black brothers and sisters, if you want to love your white brother, but you don't know how, then your desire to love them is irrelevant. White people, if you want to love your black brothers and sisters, but you don't know how, then your desire to love them is irrelevant. Not to mention, it will be poorly executed. I'll tell on myself. I was talking to the CEO, excuse me, the chief disability officer for a Fortune 500 company. I was interviewing her. And I'm sitting there in preparation like, okay, Acho, you're so good with your words. Um, She was was hearing uh, disabled, right? So I'm like, okay, here's what I'm going to say. You're going to introduce her and you're going to say you're, you're hearing different. Yeah, that's nice. No, 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 that's not good enough. Say you're hearing unique. Pay her a compliment. You're hearing unique. So I'm like, uh, welcome now sitting here with the chief diversity officer, so-and-so who's hearing unique and, you know, the things she's had to accomplish in life due to being hearing different. When she finally speaks, she's like, she said, Emmanuel, you made me so uncomfortable. She said, um, she said, she used a, a word that actually, it, it hit me harder. She said, I was very bothered by your introduction. I said, why? She said, because I'm disabled. 
But people only hear the dis and not the able. People only hear the dis and not ability when you talk about disability. That example is a microcosm of a macro issue in society. Mm. I was trying to be very well intended. I spent time, minutes, researching synonyms for disability, trying to be smoother. And, but at the end of the day, I didn't serve the person I was trying to serve. And I think that's a big issue in the church. We don't actually end up serving the people we're trying to serve. It's not that we're not trying to. It's not that we're not expending time, energy, resources, and money. It's just that it's poorly executed. And if I'm being real, that's a large part. I, somebody messaged me yesterday, Emmanuel, I can't believe you're putting your race above your faith because I always speak out about race. And I said, here's what you have to understand. For hundreds, if not thousands of years, people have used their faith to undermine race. Be very cognizant of right. doing that. That's right. Be very, I caution so many people, just because you speak on race doesn't mean it's trumping your faith, but never let faith undermine race. And if race wasn't important, Jesus wouldn't be Jewish for eternity. Mm. But the Bible makes it very clear to me that for all of eternity, we will look upon the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And he has the characteristics within his features and body that is inherently Jewish. When after resurrected and he appeared to the disciples and he walked through the wall where they were terrified and locked themselves in, they knew it was Jewish Jesus. And so ethnicity is actually a part of God's eternal plan and portrait of God. And so um, I think it is to be seen and yes. celebrated yes. and recognized and loved yeah. and that, that, uh, that, that, that divine collusion that we have one for another to learn from each other just makes us deeper and wider and more understanding, yeah. not only of one another, but of this great God. Okay, you said, let's get even more candid. So here, I want a response from you in regards to, this is Ask Me Anything. Um, I'll tell you what white people say all the time, because I hear it. Um, all right, I don't really know how to say it. I can't be politically correct. So, you know, I say this and I'm, I'm bad and I don't really know how to talk about racism or all this stuff going on. So I'm not going to say anything. You can't say anything anymore, Pastor. You, know, you just can't say anything anymore. So I'm just gonna, not going to say anything. And I made, I made that person sound extra kind of gruff and rough. But that's how <laughs> it feels to me sometimes. Like it's, it's basically um, this communication that's like, well, it's just too hard. And it, all this is is just words that doesn't matter. So... I don't care about it. Oh, and by the way, Pastor, you shouldn't either. How about you just stick to the gospel? What would you say? I would say it's twofold. Um, people don't have to care about things that don't impact them, Ooh. right? One of my favorite quotes, Ben Franklin, justice won't be served until those who are unaffected are as outraged as those who are affected. And the kicker is, like, we got to be outraged about things that don't even affect us. That's the only way we'll, we'll seek ultimate justice. And so there's a, a great song where the lyrics are, break my heart for what breaks yours. Yep, yep. I right? love that lyric. Um, it's, it's powerful. So can my heart be broken for what breaks your heart? Can your heart be broken for what breaks my heart? And when, the closer we get to that, I think the closer we'll get to biblical Christianity and Jesus-like Christianity. And the closer we'll get to Jesus, because ultimately that's really what matters. So it's a matter of don't be so lazy. Right. We, we can't be lazy because what that is, is laziness. What that is, is lazy love. Yes, exactly. It's I don't care enough about Judah to figure out how to best speak to and love Judah. So I'm just not going to say anything at all. All it takes is a little bit of understanding. When, when the when the person corrected me because I said she was hearing unique instead of disabled, I wasn't like, oh, I tried and she got it. It was just like, 
Thank you for that. I won't make that same mistake if you call it again. Um, or the next time I'll just be like, hey, how would you like me to refer to you? And I think you, you have to take the time to get to know somebody. Take the time to get to know somebody and get to love somebody and get to learn somebody because uh, that's true love. Mm. All right. Since we're being incredibly honest, let me bring up another perspective. I've heard quite a few times. Hey, appreciate what you guys are talking about. But honestly, like I this doesn't really matter to me because like I have black friends. I have brown friends. I have diverse friends. So I'm good. Yeah, I think that there's a common misconception in air there because I think a lot of people think they are immune to the conversation because they have black friends or black or, or brown friends or, or friends of color. When in all honesty, I can say this because I've been in this position, the black or the brown friend may not feel comfortable speaking. Like these conversations Whoa. you have naturally because you're, you're more outgoing. And honestly, we only dive into the depths of these conversations when we plan them. We're sitting here, cameras on, mics ahead of us, yep. et cetera. But outside of that, we're never really having the necessary conversations and thus you're never learning and you're never growing. And I also think, and my friends have had this conversation before with a white colleague, my black friend, oh, well, we just disagree. And we just brush it under the rug because we just disagree on a matter. And it's like, no, 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 we can disagree on whether pineapple belongs on pizza. But we can't disagree on systemic injustice and racism and oppression and inequality. Those are things we can't disagree on. opinion. Correct. These are not opinions. These are factual matters that are negatively in, in impacting people. So I think one of the biggest errors is just that oh, well, this isn't my fight. I'm not contributing negatively to this. And, and that's where allyship comes into play. It's if you're not being a positive contributor, then by, just, by the equation, you're being a negative contributor. And I think that's the biggest thing is like, oh, well, well what's the difference between being an ally or being anti-racist and, and being not racist? And I think not racist is, well, I'm not contributing to racism as large. I'll still tolerate it. Judah makes a joke about black people. I'll still ha-ha. Wow. But anti-racist is, you know what, I'm going to call it out when I see it. And what I think we need more of is the anti, because so many people fall on the side of the not. That's not enough. The silence, the silence of Dr. King speaks about this, how, how you, you add to the problem when we are silent. But I think what you're saying, too, is we add to the problem when we make assumptions and we don't have difficult, I know, bear with me, uncomfortable <laughs> conversations. Um, but it is true. And it's one of the reasons I love how you titled that whole journey you've been on and allowed the public to watch it numbering in the millions because we need to be more intentional. About you that. know what I'll say, and I think this will be of help to anyone who's watching, listens to this. Do a self-audit. I would wow. challenge you to ask your friend who doesn't look like you, hey, have I ever done anything to offend you? True story. Uh, one of my now closest friends, a, 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 a white girl, one time, it was maybe four years ago, before we were close, we're at a, a party, a mutual friend's house, and there's this two-year-old black girl, uh, my friend's daughter, climbing up a table. And, and, and this white friend of mine, super close friend of mine now, she's like, oh my gosh, she's such a little monkey. And it got dead silent amongst the black people. About 10 people there. White people just kept doing their thing. But the black people, we all stepped, stopped back and looked at each other like, did she really just say that? We got out our phones and started texting. 
Hey, did she just call her a little monkey? Yeah, I think that's what I heard. Is that what she called? Who gonna check her? Man, I don't really know her all that well. You gonna check her? Man, I can't check her. I don't know her all that well. You gonna check? What ended up happening, I didn't tell her for two years. Because we didn't years. we didn't have that relationship. Two years later, we were cool, and I was like, hey, by the way, remember when that when she was crawling on the table and you called her a little monkey? Yeah, don't do that. Don't do that. Because you might catch hands the next time you do that if you're in a different group in a different <laughs> setting. Right. So all that to say is Did she asked why or anything or was she we ended up having a conversation and she didn't think anything of it because to, to call a, a little white two year old a little monkey calling up a table no negative implications but to call a, a black child uh, a, a, such a little monkey I mean first off look up the slave connotations porch monkey etc not to mention just the, the the names we've been called over the course of time but that's what I mean do a self audit. Because you, I, I can take some ownership. I didn't check her for two years. We didn't have that kind of relationship, so I would not have. Um, but you don't even know what you've done to offend your brother or your sister, both black to white, white to black. So I think it would all behoove us to just kind of do a self-audit. Like, hey, dude, is there anything I've ever done that's, or said that's unintentionally offended you? And I'm asking you so I can be better for you and so I can be better for me. Wow. And the naysayers who would say to your story, um, what's the big deal? It's just, it's, the, she didn't mean it like that. Now, if one more person comes to me and starts talking about motive, motive mm -hmm. now trumps everything, by the way. I don't know how we got to this point, but it's like, well, that's not what I meant. I didn't actually ask you what you meant. Mm -hmm. I'm speaking to what you did. Yeah. So I hear the pushback in culture as like, well, I didn't mean anything by that. Get over it. It doesn't mean that anymore. What would be your response? Well, it, it's twofold. I think number one in society, we don't really judge by intent. We judge by outcome. Wow. I'm going to say something that I don't really say publicly um, because you, you might get a lot of backlash. One of the most frustrating things to me in society, and maybe it's because I'm biased because I've never drank. One of the most frustrating things to me is our judicial system. If you drink and drive, and you don't hit anybody or anything, there's a significantly less punishment than if you drink and drive and you do hit somebody or something. But you were drinking, driving either way. So you not hitting somebody or something was just by happenstance. Whoa. So we don't actually punish based on intent. We punish based on outcome. We do that throughout all the course of society. So why now is it a matter of intent for you as opposed to a matter of outcome? We just use whatever system serves us. Wow. Just in life, we just naturally use whatever system serves us. That's just always irked me. Nonetheless, cut that if we have to. Um, but, <laughs> I like but, that. But, <laughs> I'll tell you that right <laughs> But nonetheless, it's like, it's not necessarily about intent. It's about outcome. And, and more than anything, it's not about how what I said made me feel. How did what I say make you feel? Because that's ultimately what's... If I'm trying to serve you, then I might as well serve it's you. It's the law of love. You know... Simple as that. So as that. to that person, I, you, you have to care. And then lastly, figure out why it matters. Because you could say, well, I said she's such a little monkey. It's not racial. I would have said that to a little white girl. I would have said that to a little white boy. Understand the history so you can understand the connotation, so you can understand the meaning, so you can understand the impact. So you can care for your family, yes. the family of God, so we can love one another yes. well. If you don't want to live by the law of love, this is probably isn't the conversation for you anyways. Mm -hmm. But we are obviously making one assumption, at least in this conversation, and that is, is we're communicating to the community that is church home that we are all committing to live by the ultimate law of love. And love says, have I offended you and have I hurt you? 
No matter what it was, what was it, tell me, I'm gonna listen, learn, grow, and change, and will you help me change? Yeah, and um, there is no shortcut in love. No. Uh, love doesn't look for shortcuts, does it? No, and that's the that's a real problem though, is like love is exhausting. <laughs> I've been married 2020, 2020, 22 years. Who are you telling? Love I'm just is, kidding, baby. <laughs> like, it, it really is. But why? Because remember, it's an action. So it should be. You know what I you mean? You should be like, good tired. Yes. People would always be like, um, Emmanuel, how you, how you doing? I've done, I told you, there's been a lot of calls and conversations in the last 18 months. And they'd be like, how are you? I'm not going to lie. I'm not highly blessed and favored. No, no, no. I'm, <laughs> I'm not, not going to church lie. I always say, like, I'm exhausted but it's a worthy exhaustion, you know, because like I'm exhausted. I told you I burst my blood vessels in my vocal cords. Yeah, I couldn't speak for, um, uh, for a week because of all the talking I was doing, but I was like, it's a worthy exhaustion. Wow. And I think that love can be exhausting, but in the same breath, like it's, it's a worthy exhaustion. If you're doing it right, mm. there should be that, there should be that tension. Yep. But as a believer, there should be, we, we were called to live in the tension. We're called to wonder like, yes. am I loving enough? Am I not loving enough? Am I too worldly? Am I not worldly enough? Am I too godly? I think it's Evans who says, don't be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. Mm -hmm. And I think we're called to, to live in that tension yes. constantly. And that's, thank you for saying that because that is very unique to the believer. It's very unique to the trajectory of those following in the footsteps of Jesus that their life is not oriented around a relief mm -hmm. or relieving the tension. The tension is actually, by the way, that's oftentimes where you find the truth, mm -hmm. right? The tension between two opposites somewhere in there is the truth. And I think we're all talking about keeping it real and being truthful, but with no tension, there is very little integrity to the truth. Yeah. And, and we end up getting very warped, distorted concepts that are very myopic. And, and so I, I think what we're also saying to church home is like, um, I would actually say pursue the tension. Yeah. The tension is good. Um, this idea of, wait, what did I just say? Did I say that right? Mm -hmm. That is a good thing. Mm -hmm. And I know sometimes we get a little bit carried away and culture attaches itself and, and, and to, to words and things and things get a little convoluted, but there's a redeemable quality here, even in the progress of culture here in the United States of America. And that is that we're all taking uh, inventory of the words we're using mm -hmm. and that these words are changing and they have different meaning and they're hurtful and they're painful. And so Boy, if you're someone who's going, well, I just can't say right, so I'm not going to say anything. Well, that's that's in, in, in not indicative at all of the journey of Jesus, who seemed to be challenging yes. his, basically his youth group, the disciples, constantly on the words they were using and speaking and saying. Bro, I just realized Jesus was a youth pastor. That He's the first really. youth pastor. Trust me, for 10 years I was a youth pastor, so I was like, I quoted that all the time. Jesus <laughs> is the first youth pastor, so here I am. I miss youth ministry. If, you, if there's a youth ministry position available, call me. Let me know. This lead pastor stuff is hard. Adults are complicated. So, um, that was therapy. I think that it's, it's impossible to grow without tension. And as you were talking, that just dawned on me. Think about if you're trying to grow your muscles, which clearly you know a lot about. If you're trying to... I couldn't agree more. Go ahead. <laughs> That's going to be a social clip that I just put on everything. If, if you're trying to build a muscle, what do you have to do? You got to break it down. You have to deal with tension. That's what any trainer will teach you is like, eventually you're going to have to change your workout regimen, shock your body. Even you talk about Paul, right? I want to stay on earth, but I want to be with Jesus. Tension, tension. To live as Christ, to die, it would be profit for me. Tension. 
There has to be some sort of tension in our life if we're actually growing. Without tension, you can't grow. And I think we actually have to do a better job of seeking tension in society, seeking tension, not necessarily within one another. I'm not saying seek conflict, but seek tension interpersonally. Wow, that is so good. And may that tension live in God's house. May it be in the church. May we welcome the tension within the community. Um, I think it... <clears throat> It certainly is a, uh, a humbler of sorts. Mm -hmm. It humbles all of us to be like, wow, I'm, I'm not the bastion of all truth in the gospel. Um, circling back just for a moment, a couple more questions. I'm asking you anything. Um, you can imagine the amount of people watching who want to continue to be a part of the solution, justice. Justice and all of her beautiful implications as outlined in the gospel whether it's in this country, Nigeria, all over the world, and yet the work of justice is a fatiguing, exhausting work. I say that, you can imagine, even as a white male in this country, there are so many things that I get to, because of the system in place, avoid that can be exhausting. Where you as a black man, all the more, I'm sure, there has to be deep fatigue. What would you say to all of those who want to be a part of fighting for justice, walking for justice, standing for justice, but frankly, they're watching this going, yo, Acho, I'm exhausted. I've tried, nothing's changed. In fact, it seems like it's getting worse. How can I actually find passion to, to do it another day? I would say that justice, like equality, is not a finish line you cross, it's a road you travel. Mm. Mm. And the reason I say that is, is I say, put on your distance shoes. It's kind of like the colloquial wow. phrase I use. If, if you and I, or go back to high school, whatever the case may be, if you're getting ready to run a 100-meter dash, just a short sprint, you'll put on a different spike, a different shoe than if you were to run a 10,000-meter, if you were to run, you know, 20 or 25 or so laps. Why? Because you understand that one is a longer race, so you are mentally and physically prepared to run a longer race because that's what it calls for. Wow. This isn't a sprint. Justice, equality, this conversation, none of this is a sprint. It's, it's a distance race. It's not necessarily a finish line we'll ever get to say, ta-da, we did it. Mm. Judah, we got justice. Yep. Not in your lifetime nor mine, but hopefully, like one who were to get into the water and an ocean and look after a while, we'll be able to turn around and see how much further we drifted from injustice. And I think that's the goal. is isn't necessarily to cross a finish line, but to be able to look up and say, Look at the progress we've made collectively, together, individually. And then as we do it individually, look at what, how we've changed our domains. So I think it's put on your distance shoes, man. And it's a fight worthy of fighting, not just because you want to be a better person, because you're called to do that. Wow. Okay, so I have one last question, and I'm going to say it in a metaphorical uh, uh, idea. Let's say I'm putting together an article for the New York Times and I need one sentence from you. The article will be a combination of sentences from the lead voices on the subject of justice and equality in this country. And we're going to publish it in the New York Times. Acho, I need your sentence. What is the sentence that you're going to contribute to this article? And the article is that as it pertains to justice? Yes, sir. Oh, in man. In the United States of America. Of course. So I'll give you a little bit of context. Of course, of course, of course. Of course. Um, 
Ooh, that's a good. I, I love questions like these because yeah, yeah. they just throw you on the spot. Um, my one. This was my whole goal too. It's like I wanted to make you really have to pause because you never have to pause <laughs> when you talk. You're always just like boom, 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 boom. But this is this is a weighty one. I realize that. Yeah. Um, I like this. Okay. I know. And pastors' kids try to ask a pastors' kid to give you one sentence. It's not in our makeup. It's not in our DNA. We don't think in sentences. We think in paragraphs and chapters and books. So. I would, I'd probably say to not serve justice is to not serve the world around you, thus to not serve yourself. Wow. I, that's what I'd probably say. Can you to, say that again? To not serve justice is to not serve the world around you, thus to disserve yourself. Wow. Because if we don't serve justice, then ultimately we're only hurting the world around us and it's the world in which we live. So if, if I'm not contributing to justice, really I'm only hurting myself. It's, it's self-defeating. You might not realize it early on, just like if you don't go to sleep for one night, you might not realize it. Just like if you eat that ice cream sundae on one night, you might not realize it. But eventually you'll look up and realize the only person you're really robbing from is yourself. And so I think people need to understand, because we're intrinsically selfish. People need to understand that to not fight for justice, you're only harming yourself. And you can't just look through the keyhole, but you have to open up the door and see the bigger picture. The oppressor is also, in his oppression, is being dehumanized in the process, isn't he? Mm -hmm. And so this idea of lording, ruling over one another in any way, shape, or form is not just hurting those who are oppressed, which it is deeply, but is the dehumanizing of even the oppressor. And I, I think Dr. King said it much better than that, but I, I, I couldn't agree more. You know, and, and, and to that, and, and I know that was the final question, but there's one thought, and it's always stung me. This is one of the most oof, illuminating thoughts I've ever heard in my life particularly as it pertains to the Wow, text. this is exciting. Um, you got to learn how to build up. Right? Like, like, this is like, whoa. <laughs> um, maybe one of the most illuminating thoughts is, what if, we aren't fa- what if we aren't Moses? What if we're Pharaoh? And that has always plagued me. That's always, like, troubled me. That's always cautioned me. Because every Sunday and Wednesday, when you listen to the sermon, you view yourself as the oppressed and not the oppressor. But what if you're actually the oppressor? Because to someone, you probably are. And at some point in time, you've probably been. And so my biggest challenge for everyone is just do self-examination. Mm. Because we all view ourselves as the Israelites. We've never listened to the sermon of let my people go and watch the movie and heard the story and thought of ourselves as Pharaoh. Ever in life. Even talking about the book of Esther. We've never read the book of Esther and thought of ourselves as King Haman. Or we've never thought of ourselves as, we, we've never done that. We've never thought of ourselves as Haman. We've never thought of ourselves as, we've always just been like, oh, yeah, 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 we're, we're, we're Esther. We're Mordecai. You know what I mean? Like, but what if you're the oppressor? And I think that is where we all have to pause, stop, and think, and just be a little more introspective. Mm-hmm. Because some of us probably are, myself included. And that's a very sobering and humbling thought. Yeah, what if, what if we're not just the woman laying in the dust 
circled by her accusers with rocks in mm -hmm. their hands. Certainly, um, many of us have been in that position, but uh, oh boy, have I not been. I certainly have been uh, part of the, the gang with the rocks in stones, their hands. Stones, man. Throwing stones. You and me both, bro. And um, God is with us. Uh, I can't thank you enough for this time. Um, last question, of course. Uh, what do you think the likelihood of me you know, finding a way onto like third string quarterback position in the league. Like, I mean, honestly, like I, I don't think, you know, my resume, we've never really talked about it. I'm six, two and a half, just to be honest, 178, probably 27% body fat, which is not bad, uh, above average. And, uh, I can sling the rock, man. I don't want to get into it. Um, but what do you think the chance? Here's the problem. You got to work on your tells because you said last question, second to last question again. So I knew the joke was coming. <laughs> I knew I knew it was Wait, I didn't even flinch. Joke? I knew, what joke? I knew I knew the joke was coming. You got to You got you got to set me up better this time. Now Judy, you're getting predictable in your old age. I sure <laughs> am. Oh, I worry. All right, Churchill, this is ask me anything with Emmanuel Acho. Thanks for watching. Like I don't even know if we needed a close. <laughs> <laughs> Bro, what is it? What are you on Fox Sports? <laughs>